The NFL draft is approaching quickly. And in order for you to know exactly what prospects are going to be amazing, what prospects lit the world on fire in their pro days, there's only one place where you can get all the information about prospects and not only prospects, but current NFL players, and that is the Fantasy Football by Brodo app available now on anywhere you get apps. On this app, you get everything you need, everything to dominate fantasy. You get player profiles with all the stats you need. You get advanced statistics, including Brodo uh, special Brodo exclusive statistics, which, and this it always getting better, always getting better, this app, the statistics page is already revamped. It looks so much cleaner. If you have the app already, go check it out. Don't forget the social media part where we can discuss everything fantasy, player specs, a player rankings, news, coaching stats, so important. How do coaches use players? Contracts, who's in their final years? You get articles, you get podcasts. You get everything you need to dominate your fantasy league, and it's all in one place. It's the Fantasy Football app by Brodo. Download it today. Today. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Brodo Fantasy Football Podcast presented by BrotoFantasy.com. I'm your host, Tim Petrop, with my brothers, the only two twins that give you double that fantasy goodness, Michael and Jason Petrop. Only Michael today. Jason's hey, out yo. doing his Jason thing, you know, special well, you guest say, not here today. You say only Michael, but we have a special guest coming on. That we do. So, Why don't you tell yeah. people about him, Michael, since you're so... Yeah. Uh, Excited. Very very special guest, uh, Drew Osentruck, also known as the DF Bean Counter on uh, on Dynasty Fantasy Football Twitter. He, I figured out who he was this season, and right away I was like, this is amazing content, and I've been a big fan of his ever since. He really has some incredible uh, Dynasty and Devi Fantasy Football stuff going on, so he got came on to talk to us, because guess what? The NFL Draft is coming up in two weeks, folks. Some people are already doing uh, startup dynasty drafts. Some people are going to do them basically right after the May draft. Uh, excuse me, right after the NFL draft ends. And this guy is great at dynasty fantasy football, has a lot of success and a lot of track record with it. And he's going to come on and tell us which players, about which players he likes, why he likes them, and some players he's not so high on. And it's just a very good conversation about the dynasty fantasy football draft your rookie drafts coming up and it was a very very good time so i hope you guys uh enjoy it but yeah very very glad to have drew on the show confirmed michael has a man crush on this man he, i love his work dude i always ever since i found him i was like this is great so when we when he said he'd come on the pod i was like that's that's great i mean michael set up the interview and he was so excited to tell us that this guy was coming on the podcast and <laughs> you know he he's got he's got the juice i'm not gonna lie he's got the juice so definitely it's coming up in the Real Recognize Real hotline just in a few minutes. But before that, let's go over some headlines uh, since the last time we saw each other. Some news has went down. Not big news, but some news. Um, news, news, news. Just some quick reactions. Michael Ito Smith um, has been waived um, probably to make room on the roster for Cordero Patterson, who has been signed by the Falcons 
Um, recently, or, Cordero Patterson has been a running back when he's played on the field with the Bears. So interesting there, although it does seem as though he's going to be returning kicks mostly. Um, Michael, what do you think about these two moves? Yeah, or to make room on the roster for a Najee Harris or a Javante Williams or a Travis Etienne. I definitely think the Falcons draft a running back because clearly Todd Gurley is not the Todd Gurley of old, unfortunately. Have we seen like this type of demise? I can't think of anyone like this quickly to go from such an alpha star monster to uh, Todd Gurley. That's hilarious. Larry Johnson. (laughs) Larry Johnson's the first one that comes to my mind because both him and Larry Johnson got got run into the ground. And, you know, when you're getting so many touches, there's only so many, you know, there's only so many hits you could take as a running back. Yeah, and I think the Falcons know Brian Hill isn't the answer. Quadri Allison isn't the answer. So I definitely think they're going to dip their toes into the uh, the running back pool this this draft. Jadavion Clowney signs with the Browns after leaving the, the Titans. Um, the Browns in 2020 had the 12th lowest sack rate in the NFL, 2.2 sacks per game, despite the fact that Miles Garrett is on the team. Um, so this should help that, although Clowney has not been a sack artist. He's more of a run stuffer. How do you feel about this for the Browns? I think, I mean, I think it's a great ad, dude. Like, to have him opposite Miles Garrett now, like, Jadavion Clowney, it's, it's been shown that, like, yeah, his numbers don't scream he's a beast, but, like, he, like, in Tennessee, he was getting doubled a ton, and in Houston, he was getting doubled a ton. So, I mean, I think his numbers don't really show like he didn't become this generational star that like I think who was it Mel Kuyper coming out like when Jay Davion Clowney was coming out said he's a hall of famer like he was I don't the first think he's overall reached, pick yeah I don't think he's reached that level Definitely but not. I think I think he's getting a little too much shit because he didn't reach that level he's still a very good player and I don't see how as a Browns fan you could be anything other than excited about this move because the Browns are finally good. So to see them take a low cost flyer on a guy like Jadavion Clowney, a one year deal for what, like ten million? Mm-hmm. I think you said it was. Like absolutely. I think it's a tremendous deal for them. I will tell you this too. Um, speaking of tremendous deals, and speaking of Brodo favorites, uh, Cass, his boy, Giovanni Bernard, gets released from the Bengals. And he goes from NFL purgatory to literally the best chance to win a championship probably in the NFL this year. And he and he goes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to play with Tom Brady. Tom Brady last year visibly got angry at running backs multiple times on the field for not being where they're supposed to be. So they go out and they get one of the better receiving backs in the league to pair with Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones. Uh, in what looks to be a three-headed backfield, looks like it's going to be really annoying for fantasy managers. But overall, this is a great move for Tampa. Yeah, um, Gio Bernard obviously is someone we've liked on Broto for a while because he's always he's always produced when given a shot. He's he is a bit older at this point. I'm not even certain that like he has a huge role this season, but I could absolutely him I, I could absolutely see him being the new James White for um for the Buccaneers as he was for the Patriots. Like we know Gio Bernard has been a very effective pass catcher for years now. He's a veteran at this point. He did not sign with Tampa Bay to be the guy or something. Like he knows the deal. He knows he's going to Tampa Bay to try to win a Super Bowl 
and to more than likely help out in pass protection in the passing game. And it's probably not going to lead to him having many big time fantasy weeks, but those five or five, six, seven reception, 45 yard, two touchdown games that James White would have. Don't be shocked if we get a couple of those from Gio Bernard out in Tampa this season. Just to put into perspective how bad the pass catching situation out of the backfield was for the Bucks last year, um, 14.7% drop rate for Tampa's running backs last year. That was the highest in the league. The average drop rate is 6.6%. Holy moly. So it's, yeah. <laughs> uh, Leonard Fournette. That's not good. That's Leonard, not good. No. Leonard Fournette, seven drops on 47 targets. Ronald Jones, five drops on 42 targets. And Keyshawn Vaughn dropped three of his 10 targets. So uh, that's bad. I remember seeing Keyshawn Vaughn drop passes, and I was like, geez, Louise, this guy's never going to get on the field if he can't even catch a damn pass. Facts. Um, interesting signing. The Cardinals signed James Conner for a one-year, $1.7 million contract. Obviously not any special money, but this does point to a couple things. Number one, uh, the Cardinals, are they going to spend any draft capital on running back in the draft? It's It's a little... They have more leeway now if they don't have a running back uh, that they're looking at in their spots. Number two, I think this is good news for Chase Edmonds because, in my opinion, Chase Edmonds was never going to be an every down back. So if the guy you're bringing him in to pair with is James Conner, who has a history of injury, who is only making $1.75 million, so he's not ex- expecting to be a workhorse, this means that, that Chase Edmonds is still relevant. And they if they drafted a guy... Chase Edmonds could have easily been irrelevant. So I think that this is good news for Chase Edmonds rather than bad news, which is being treated as. Yeah, I think it's I mean, I think it's a good signing for Arizona altogether. Like I know people are like, oh, it's James Conner, why would you sign him? And all those sorts of things. But look, if they don't want to spend draft capital on a running back, which I don't blame them, they spent it on Eno Benjamin last year, which obviously looks like whatever. Um they they got Chase Edmonds in the draft, and Chase Edmonds looks like a very solid player. And go out and spend less than two million on a running back that we've seen be productive when healthy in the past. Why not? And I think it's a great compliment to Chase Edmonds, who I agree with you. This dude is never going to be a workhorse. People are bugging out if they were like, "Oh, he signed James Conner." There goes Chase Edmonds getting seventy plus percent of carries. That was never going to happen. But now he has a a running back who can't handle a very big workload because he always gets hurt whenever he does try to handle a big workload, but is pretty effective otherwise. So I agree with you. I think uh, James Conner and Chase Edmonds are going to be like a 10 to 15 touch backfield each each game for as long as they're healthy. And clearly Edmonds is going to be the preferred option because he's going to get the pass catching work. But yeah, I still think Chase Edmonds has a chance to be uh, a very solid RB2 this year. I mean, I think he could have like Naheem Hines-esque, damn, why did I start him games? Like if he's not super involved in a passing game, but I think he'll definitely have some solid weeks. And yeah, like if you were just, it was just a pipe dream. If you thought Chase Evans was going to be some star or like just, yeah, that, that never really made sense to begin with. So signing James Conner shouldn't have really changed minds there. James Conner just got hurt again in the off season. He like, he, he got turf toe from like, it said like a, like a automobile, <laughs> something with an automobile, like an 18 exit know. or something like that. This guy can't stop getting hurt. Um, Julian Edelman retires 35 years old. It was time for him to walk. He's had a great career. So the question is that is blowing up Twitter right now. No, 
don't ask, please. We're gonna be these people. I please. I disagree with you. Oh my god. You think Julian Edelman should be a Hall of Famer? I think the the Hall of Fame everyone goes way too hard about, about the Hall of Fame. I think Bro, that the Hall of Fame I'm about to I'm about is to just get off this call. A hall of famous players that did extraordinary things no matter what. I think that people go way too hard with who's in the Hall of Fame and who's not. If Julian Edelman loses not in the its of, value. How? If Julian Edelman is not in the Hall of Fame, then why should there be a Hall of Fame? This guy is one of the best postseason players of all time. This is a joke. He's one of the best all season players of all time. The numbers show it. Man. The eye test shows it. He was the it. number one receiver for Tom Brady. Of course he had successful postseason games. Okay, that that is a, a, the most ridiculous argument that I've ever heard because what are you going to you you're just gonna fault every single person like oh Jerry Rice had Steve Young and Joe Montana throwing to him that that means that that Jerry Rice isn't a Hall of Famer the fuck no it just Jerry Rice also had ridiculously great regular seasons all right let's like not, this let's not get into this um I, I can't I can't believe you're that guy I can't believe it I just I I just think he's we go way too hard with the Hall of Fame like it's not that serious. I just I think we need to go harder with the Hall of Fame it's the Hall of Fame for a reason. <sighs> Gross. Um, Not every single player who was above decent should be remembered forever. The Hall of Fame is for the best of the best ever. I mean, and he was one of the best of the best wide receivers in the postseason. Why should the regular season mean as? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If anything, if anything, postseason performers should have precedence in the Hall of Fame over regular season performers. Not doing this. Move on, please. I'm, I'm making too much. <laughs> I'm making too much sense for you. All right. Um, yo, Deshaun Watson, bro. Have Have you been paying attention to the to this this case i think it's up to 22 women out i think 20 of them said they're gonna uh release their anonymity and announce who they are bro 22 women apparently this is this is bad it's, it's dude bad, like it's bad it's bad deshaun watson even like deshaun watson's representation said said he slept with some of the masseuses but said it was consensual like bro you just admitted he slept with the masseuses like there's like Deshaun Watson, right now I think there's like a eighty five percent, ninety percent chance Deshaun Watson's a piece of shit human who is just hiding in plain sight for a very long time and got caught. Like I there's twenty like twenty women are gonna come out and all lie about Deshaun Watson, man. And not only that, bro, like if you look at his 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 ways, like I think the the number was he went to like over seventy different masseuses, massage parlors in a year. Like, why Please. are you going to 70 different ones, bro, during a pandemic? Why? It's because you're looking for new women to sexually harass. That's why. I mean, this is like, it's devastating, too, for, like, young people who look up to Sean Watson. Because up until this point, he was, like, a, a stand-up guy who was a an NFL great who has a chance of being, like, a Hall of Fame-type player. And then this happens, and... I'm just I won't be surprised if Deshaun Watson ever plays another snap and if all this does turn out to be true which it seems like it will be I don't think he should play another snap because it's this is a very very bad situation. All right. Uh and and you know that's the uh that's the news. I just want to put one thing out there because you know I'm a hater of Bill Belichick's draft prowess. I think he's a great <laughs> I think he's a great coach. I think there's never been a coach that's better at halftime adjustments. Than Bill Belichick, but with that being said, a story that came out by Albert Breer, one of our favorites, the Patriots. Some a, a story leaked 
that Bill Belichick ignored team scouts who wanted to draft A.J. Brown and Debo Samuel over Nikhil Harry in the 2019 draft. Just well, that's it. that's rough if that's true. Hold that's rough. Only. It's rough. And, I, I, you know, I keep saying, like, oh, everyone's call, calling the Patriots geniuses for trading back. Well, here they go. They traded back, they traded back, they traded back, and now they have no talent on the roster. So, you know, the the Patriots will, dra- will trade back yet again, and people will call them... People call them geniuses yet again. That's why I don't want the Jets to 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 trade out of this number two spot. Use it. You got the number two spot. Use it. Take Zach Wilson. Take take your shot on it. But um, that's just me. Anyway, um, we are thinking in terms of running an NFL dynasty. So let's get into dynasty talk on the real recognized real hotline. Michael, you ready? Oh, I'm. I was born ready, Tim. Let's get into it. Now welcoming onto the Real Recognize Real segment of the podcast, a very special guest, Drew Osinchuk, maybe better known to some of you on Twitter as at DF Bean Counter. Drew, actually, I stumbled upon your work in like week two this year. So I haven't been following you for that long, but I saw what you were doing and I was like, damn, this is awesome. <laughs> and ever <laughs> since then, I've been like, this dude is this dude is great. And I'm very excited to have you on the show. Thanks, man. Much appreciated. So um, for people who don't know, this is going to be a Dynasty-based interview here because Drew is a Dynasty Devi type of guy, and he creates rankings and such, a whole system like Bulletproof, Coin Flip, uh, Generational, and things of that sort. So you want to just dive into that a little bit, just explain explain your work a little bit and introduce yourself? Sure, yeah, I know. so yeah, I'm on Twitter at DF Bean Counter, and kind of the whole premise of my my shtick, I guess you could say, is I I grade players as well as rank them, which is I think kind of unique. A lot of people don't really do that, so we can compare players across draft classes a lot easier that way. So I have there's six grades: transcendent, generational, bulletproof, coin coin flip, uh, long shot, and bust. And that's a grade that the player gets. It's basically tied to what they're prospect profile dictates as their hit rate uh like historically so that's they're pretty intuitive a lot of times like a 50 or a coin flip is roughly a 50 50 historical hit rate a uh you know a long shot is more like a 25 percent. a bust is like a 10 percent. so it's not saying that the player that you really like can't hit it's just kind of putting it in context of historically guys that have done what this guy have done have hit at this rate so Drew, let's not let's let's not waste any time and let's get right into those guys because one thing that I so dynasty I'm, I I don't we're redraft guys here uh but we're we're getting into dynasty we're putting our our feet in the water of dynasty we're getting into it so we don't I don't act like I I'm I'm an expert in dynasty this would be my third year playing dynasty so you know getting there with that being said I've always found it strange and I've always found it very difficult when people are have have rookie drafts before the actual NFL draft happens. Because I just feel like, you know, situation matters so much. For you, what is what kind of differences do you do you give players after the draft and before the draft? And what are like your best strategies to draft players pre NFL draft? So for me, situation isn't nearly as big of a deal as it is for other people. Um, like I was just saying with my grading process, all that happens before the draft. So like a player is in a bucket before he gets drafted. The situation has no bearing on it. 
So when we're looking at, you know, drafting players before the draft, we're drafting the players with the best hit rates or the ones that look like players that have had the best hit rates historically. So when I, when I'm drafting before the draft, I'm looking for, you know, the same things that I'm looking for after the draft, but after the draft, then we have the situations and they, they either amplify or like kind of hinder the progress. So like somebody like AJ Brown, when he came out, everybody like sunk his stock because he got drafted by Tennessee and Tennessee doesn't pass, which was correct to some extent, except pretty much every team passes enough to handle at least one wide receiver. Maybe not a wide receiver one or certainly not a wide receiver one overall, but like Tennessee with AJ Brown, he's still been a backhand wide receiver one last year. So it's not that bad. The problem is people like tank it. Like it can't happen. And situations change so fast in the NFL that it can happen. We just don't know when. So I, I don't really worry about situation overly, even after the draft. I'm not like a big situation guy. There'll be instances where I don't move guys as much as maybe others do. Like Clyde Edwards Hilaire went to Kansas city last year. He moved way up my rankings, but he moved to number one on a lot of rankings. And he didn't for me because I don't put inferior prospects above good prospects when the good prospects have okay landing spots. Like there's like three teams that have great landing spots. There's like three teams that are terrible landing spots and everything in the middle doesn't matter. <laughs> Interesting. You know, it's funny you bring up Tennessee and AJ Brown because we, we created a stat called true throw value, which is an efficiency stat. It basically tells you how many points you can expect every time a quarterback attempts a pass. And Ryan Tannehill has been elite in that statistic. So we loved AJ Brown because we were like, he doesn't need 150 targets. If he gets 100 targets, he could still put up big numbers, and he has. So I thought it was funny that you uh, you pointed out Tennessee because that's right into our wheelhouse. But when it comes to, like you said, you grade these players, but obviously you grade them positionally, like wide receivers against wide receivers, tight ends against tight ends. How do you approach um, drafting running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends going into a rookie draft? Like is there a specific, like do you would you prefer to get the first running back would you prefer to get the first wide receiver or do you really just overall look at the value of these players each year and it differs so for me it really comes down to adp like i don't reach on players if i like them and i don't uh i don't not select players if i don't like them as much as everyone else uh basically i drafted adp but i prioritize where i'm drafting based on the players that i like and what their adps are so last year, for instance, I really like Cam Akers. He was my running back one. He was my 101 overall in Superflex Leagues. I thought he had a really strong profile, and I thought he had the best landing spot. Like I said, there's only a few landing spots that I actually think matters. I think the LA Rams was one of those spots. So I really like Cam Akers. I wasn't taking Cam Akers at 101. I wasn't suggesting that the patrons take Cam Akers at 101. I was looking at where he is on the draft board and saying, hey, look, like there's no difference in the prospect profile of Cam Akers and Jonathan Taylor. They went to different schools. That's the difference. So when we're looking at their career projections, they have the same career projection. So instead of buy, paying up to go and get Jonathan Taylor, or instead of drafting him at his ADP, trade back and get additional assets and take Cam Akers because they're basically the same. That's kind of how I approach uh, prioritizing the draft in terms of like wide receiver versus running back, it really depends on the wide receiver and the running back. Um, I'm not going to take, for instance, let me try to think of a good example. So last year I had five running backs for my top five players. I think that was a mistake. I actually think I I missed the J Justin Jefferson profile. He actually 
does grade out really, really well, which I found surprising because I, I, I've always been under the impression that athleticism does not matter at the wide receiver position because it, it honestly does not matter. <laughs> like if you look at it from a like correlation or a statistics angle, it doesn't matter if they ran a four six or a four four. It makes no difference in their likelihood of hitting. Where it, where I found that it does matter is when I'm looking at only my top prospects, and then I flip on uh, athleticism filter. And the ones that are crazy athletic and crazy productive and young and early declare and all the other stuff that we look for, those guys really pop. Mm-hmm. So Justin Jefferson actually did pop, and I just missed it because I didn't realize he was such a good athlete. And I didn't realize that it mattered in that one specific context, which it may not matter. It could just be small sample sizes. You know, like we are dealing with tiny sample sizes. Yeah. So it could just be we flipped heads 10 times in a row. I don't know. So- but uh, anyways... When it comes to running backs versus wide receivers, I prefer running backs because they hit earlier and they hit harder earlier. Wide receivers usually don't get big seasons until their second year. Running backs, you can get big seasons in their rookie year. So I try to prioritize running back, but I'm not going to take an inferior running back over a superior wide receiver. And once I get outside of the top running backs, I don't really like them anymore. (laughs) So you mentioned running backs, which is exactly what I wanted to ask you as well. So a, a lot of what's coming out about this class is that strong, one of the strongest quarterback classes, another really strong wide receiver class, a average tight end class with one extremely good prospect at the top, and then everyone saying below average running back class. Do you concur with that? And also, yeah. you do. Okay, <laughs> so, so of this low wide running back class, Who's your favorite, and who do you think is someone that's being uh, overdrafted right now? My my favorite is Travis Etienne. I think he would have been in with the big four last year, not CEH. CEH is a tier below. Javante Williams and uh, Najee Harris, actually, I, I have the same grade as Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So I think they're all kind of comparable, which is to say they're not that good. <laughs> they're, they're fine. Like, don't get me wrong. They're probably going to hit top 24 seasons a couple times. Because basically all they have to do is be a starter and be healthy to hit a top 24. But to hit a top 12 season where it actually matters at the running back position, I don't think those guys have it in them unless they like land in like the perfect spot like Clyde, well, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire did last year. And he still kind of didn't perform up to expectation. He didn't have a bad rookie year, though. I, like, I think his rookie year is getting overblown a little bit in terms of the negative. I think it was fine. Like He wasn't a great prospect. Give him some time. He showed enough that I have faith that he's going to be a – quality NFL or for a while. Um, but yeah, like Joante Williams and Najee Harris, they'd be my running back probably six and seven in last year's class. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if we're comparing to last year, it's a very weak class. But if we go back to 2019, Javante Williams and Najee Harris would be like my running back one, two, or three. Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so the 2020 class was incredible then. <laughs> yes. The 2020 class was incredible. I think I have uh somewhere around 25, 26 running backs on my bulletproof tier, and four of them came from last year, and that goes back to 2003. So oh, wow. we had a real bumper bumper crop last year. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, uh, I seem to see Najee Harris ranked ahead of Travis Etienne on most rankings for uh, Dynasty players. Is there a specific standout reason why you like Etienne over Najee Harris? Uh, yeah, Etienne basically produced from day one. And he got a higher film grade from Lance Zerline at NFL.com, which he's been tracked. Like he's been assigning grades to players since 2014, I believe it was. And he actually out hits draft capital. So he's really, really good at scouting running backs. I don't use his 
grades for any other position really, but his running back grades are outstanding. To, to like honestly, to be able to to out hit draft capital without knowing draft capital at the running back position is incredible because so much of running back position is strictly tied to volume and mm-hmm. situation. And like, like I was just saying earlier, situation doesn't really matter. That's more so true at the wide receiver position. The running back position situation is quite a bit more important. And he can out-hit draft capital without even knowing where these guys land. And without being the guy pulling the trigger on the draft pick to tell him, okay, we're going to give you 20 touches a game. Like, that's incredible to me. So I use his his grades for that. And he has ETN higher than Najee Harris, which I found pretty interesting because a lot of other film people do not see it that way. And it yeah. looks like draft capital isn't going to go that way either. I actually, I was... Uh... I go through your Twitter threads all the time. So I've I've noticed that you use the Lancer line uh, running back rankings. That That is like super impressive. Like when I saw you talking about it on one of your Twitter threads, I was like, I don't know how that's even possible. But yeah, shout out to Lancer line. Um, probably not listening, but if you are listening, shout out to you, Lancer line. <laughs> uh, so we got the running backs down. Let's let's go over to the next position group because we – the quarterbacks are what everyone's talking about right now. And, and, and it's funny because I remember at this time last year, people talking about, you know, you got to get your quarterback this year because next year's quarterback group is a weak group. And then all of a sudden here we are. And well, outside of Lawrence initially. Outside of Everyone Lawrence. Lawrence. Right, outside of Lawrence. Here we are April 15th, and all of a sudden there's five quarterbacks, and this is one of the greatest quarterback groups in history. And <laughs> particularly three guys coming out of nowhere. So I want to ask you about the. I want to ask you about all of them, really. Um, but I want to stick to one guy because we're Jets fans here, Zach Wilson. Um, <laughs> in terms of the profile and and what you're looking at, how do you how do you grade Zach Wilson and why? Yeah, so I think uh, I'm actually not quite done. My well, so I use QBase as the basis of my my grading for quarterbacks. I do I make some alterations to it. QBase is a model from Football Outsiders. And it was really good, and they changed it this year, and they just announced it on, like, April 5th. So I haven't really had time to mm-hmm. dig into the quarterbacks on my own that much yet. I'm, I'm pretty far into it now because I've been working on my rookie guide. But, uh, you know, if we had this, you know, three days ago, I might not have been as far into it. So good timing. <laughs> but um, basically what I've tried to do is kind of recreate their Q-based model without actually making it a model, just looking at the individual inputs and, you know, making some educated guesses as to how they might interact with each other. And, I, and on their new model, which they seem to think is better, I think it's worse, but who am I to judge them for their work? So we'll see. Maybe it is better. They, they think that Zach Wilson's incredible. And I think that Zach Wilson's incredible based on what I look at. My hesitation with Zach Wilson is simply the one-hit wonder phenomenon. Like he, he has a lot of mediocrity on his profile up until this year. And then this year he like knocked it out of the park, right? Like he was, he was absolutely incredible. He deserves all the accolades he's getting. Everything you look at that he did this year is like top of the top of the charts. And he did it without quality receivers. So when, you know, like, uh, what was it, 2018, everyone, 2018? Josh Rosen's year. Was that 2018? 2018. Mm-hmm. Everybody was pumping up Josh Rosen. as oh, Like, he was only inefficient because his wide receivers weren't very good. They kept dropping passes, blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> we've seen players play with bad receivers, and the good ones are still efficient. And that's what Zach Wilson did here. He was crazy efficient with like not an NFLer in sight. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like it's 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 impressive what he did with the supporting cast that he had to be that good. So I'm into him. I think for me, Justin Fields is ahead of Zach Wilson. Uh, Justin Fields is just like, 
I have this thing where I always preach like consistent excellence, right? Like if the player is just only ever being good, why would you ever expect anything else? And that's Justin Fields. Like he came in the like his high school recruiting score was like I think third best QB of all time, so really friggin' high. And then he he didn't play in his, in his uh, freshman year, transferred to Ohio State, and immediately put up one of the best wide or one of the best quarterback seasons we've seen from a PFF grade. I use PFF adjusted grades, age adjusted grades. His age 20 season, I believe, was second overall in my database that I think they started in 2010. So last 10 years, he had the best, best, second best age 20 season. It's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so like, there's just nothing not to like about Justin Fields. Then he shows up at his pro day. He runs like a four, four, six. He's what? Six, three, 227 pounds. Like the guy, and, like he, there's nothing he can't do. When you look at all the like descriptive metrics, when people are charting his passes and they're like, who has the most accurate passes? It's Justin Fields. Yeah. So I don't get the Zach Wilson over Justin Fields, but in any other year, it'd be like, okay, yeah, Zach Wilson's is QB1. It's just this year is really strong. And it's funny that you say this year was like nothing to your last year because these three guys honestly came out of nowhere. Trey Lance picked up a lot of steam. Uh, I can't remember who it was. Matt Miller maybe put him like 102 in his mock draft in like May last year. And everyone was like, who the hell is Trey Lance? Like, you never heard of this guy. And you start looking up his stats. It's like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he threw an interception, right? In 2020? Well, 2019, I mean. Yeah. Absolutely nuts. Uh, do you uh is Trevor Lawrence like your clear number one quarterback um in this draft? Because I know like I think Chris Sims is like the only person I think I've seen that has Zach Wilson ahead of Trevor Lawrence, but like the vast, vast majority is Trevor Lawrence number one. Yeah, I have Trevor Lawrence number one, and it's it's a bit of a departure from my process because I don't think he really stands out from a from a math process. <laughs> like analytically, I don't think he really stands out. There's two data points that I point to that I do think are are telling. Number one is his age-adjusted PFF grades. Like at 18, he's doing what most guys barely do at 20 or 21. <laughs> so like he he smashed as an 18-year-old. And if we know anything about age-adjusted production at virtually any other position, it really matters. So I think and, and from the little bit that I have looked into age-adjusted PFF grades, it has really shone. Not as well as Cubase used to, but it was still really good. And Q, new Cubase still ranks Trevor Lawrence super high. But when you look at like the stuff that they're asking for, it's usually like multi-year starter. Well, he's a 21-year-old. He's going to be a 21-year-old rookie with three full years of starting experience. Like that's that's pretty rare. Uh, he he was crazy efficient basically every year. The knocks that I have on Trevor Lawrence are that he he wasn't really like a push the ball down the field guy. Like I think his 2019 was around eight or nine yards, like air yards per attempt. When you look at someone like Justin Fields, it was 12.6 in 2019. So like he's thrown the ball like three, four yards further down the field on average <laughs> and and is still crazy accurate. Yeah. So like math to me shows Justin Fields. But what, what stands out for Trevor Lawrence is, and I think this is really important, from a film perspective, Lanzerline grades are good, but they're about the same as draft capital, which is about the same as every film grinder's uh, correlation, I suspect, when it comes to quarterbacks. They're, they all hit about the same as draft capital. But with, with Zach Zerline's, he – how do I word this? He assigns them a grade, right? So when, we can, when, when people are saying, well, he's generational – you go back to the grade and you're like, well, no, like seven guys had that grade in the last like five years. Like it's, it's really not that <laughs> impressive. It's the same as everyone else. 
with Trevor Lawrence, never seen anybody with a, as high of a grade as Zach or as Trevor Lawrence has. Hmm. So like that actually stands out. Like yeah. Kyle Pitts, for instance, we're probably going to talk about him pretty soon. I would imagine yeah, based yep. on the, uh, <laughs> the way we've been going through the positions <laughs> when people are saying Kyle Pitts is generational. I'm like, well, actually like based on what? Cause math doesn't really show me he's generational. Math shows me he's really good, but from film, he's got the same grade as OJ Howard and Hunter Henry. So is he really generational? Like those guys hit or those guys didn't really hit to the extent that people are expecting Kyle Pitts to. So it's funny. And then like, I, like I'm out here saying Jamar Chase is generational and uh best I have oh, yeah. a video that he's the best <laughs> wide receiver prospect since Calvin Johnson. And if that doesn't show up on the wow. film, like uh Lance Airlines great on, on uh, Jamar Chase, he's not even wide receiver one in the class. But we also know that his wide receiver grades aren't really that telling, so I'm not that worried about it. But the quarterbacks, like I said, we actually see Trevor Lawrence stand out. He is the one and only guy with like a 7.5 grade. That's it in the last, what is it, six, seven years. And we've had some pretty good quarterback prospects come into the league. They haven't really panned out, but they've been really good prospects. Not quite to Trevor Lawrence extent, obviously, but you know, he, he does stand out from that standpoint. It's interesting you you mentioned Kyle Pitts and I I would love to get into Kyle Pitts but I do want to talk about one quarterback before we move on to Kyle Pitts because you mentioned how good Justin Fields is you mentioned how good Trevor Lawrence is you mentioned how good Zach Wilson is that seems to be um that seems to be universal in terms of look these guys are ultra talented then you have Mac Jones who came out of nowhere was playing behind the best offensive line in football with the best running back in college football with two NFL wide first round wide receivers to each of his sides. So the question is for you, if you're the 49ers, do you take Mac Jones over a guy like Justin Fields? I could I could probably guess what you're going to say based on what you've said already. And do you see this special prospect that is being sold to us in Mac Jones? No, I don't think that Mac Jones is is really I don't think he's very unique. I'll put it that way. I think that he's he's got a super low ceiling in my opinion. Like everything that the film grinders tell me is he can't drive the ball to the outside. He doesn't have a strong arm. He can't fit it in tight windows. Like well that like that doesn't really show up in the stat sheet for us. Like his season was absolutely insane. There's no questioning that. But like you said, you need to add the context to it. Like he played with an offensive line full of NFLers and he played against defenses that were not full of NFLers. So he like the deck was stacked in his favor. That doesn't mean he's a bad quarterback. Like, like if Trevor Lawrence was playing on Alabama, we'd still think Trevor Lawrence is a good prospect. I think the issue for me is that he didn't really do anything. (laughs) Like, like when you look at his, um, Passes behind the line of scrimmage. They're super high, which also Trevor Lawrence's are uniquely enough. So, like, the, how do I word it? His yards per, or his uh, air, air yards per attempt was also pretty low. It was 8.6 or 8.8. I can't recall the specifics, but it was quite low by comparison to some of the other top prospects. Like, I think Zach Wilson's was over 10. Like I mentioned, Justin Fields was 12.4 and 10.6 or something like that his two years. So, like, he's kind of a dump-off artist. And then... You know, it's kind of funny because I'm like, eh, I don't know about Devonta Smith. But he, like, he's a good player. I just don't know that he has a high ceiling. That's, there's a huge difference there to me. So it's not like 
I can't, it, people will like twist this when I'm like, yeah, he had really good supporting cast. And I'm like, we well, don't even like Demona Smith. I'm like, okay, listen, <laughs> it's not that I don't like Demona Smith. It's that he's not Jamar Chase. That's a big difference. And with Demona Smith, I think that he has a very high floor. He's like a Calvin Ridley or a, or a Jerry Judy, where you're getting an NFL player at the very worst. Like there's, there's no way that he's going to bust out of the NFL unless he just gets bullied because he's so small. But like from a production standpoint, he's a player. He's just not a yeah. great player. So I'm not saying that Mac Jones has a weak supporting cast by any stretch when I'm saying that Devonta Smith isn't my guy. I'm just saying his supporting cast is very, very strong comparatively to whatever else we're looking at. Like if you look at Trevor Lawrence's best receiver, it was like what, Amari Rogers? Was that his best receiver this year? Like that that's say so. nothing impressive. <laughs> yeah. You know, like there's just there's just a huge chasm between what Mac Jones is dealing with and what everyone else is dealing with. And then when you hear the film graders talk about how he can't fit in tight windows and he can't throw it down the field and he can't hit the guy on the out route because he doesn't throw hard enough. And, and then <laughs> he's got absolutely no threat on the ground. Like he had a hundred rushing yards, I believe across his entire, uh, well, I was maybe even less than 78. I can't remember. I tweeted it a while ago. His entire collegiate career, he had like 78 rushing yards. Like the guy is as one dimensional as it gets. Yeah. So, I just find that I, I find it such a, a a mind-bending thing that people first of all, Kyle Shanahan has done nothing but lie to the media since he became a head coach. And then he's telling these people you you really traded three picks to get a check down artist from Alabama? No, you didn't. Sorry, guy. I know that you're not. I know yeah. you're not doing that. But uh anyway, yeah, Michael, <laughs> I know it's your turn to ask a question. You look like you're chomping at the bits over there. No, yeah, because I I've been very vocal. Like uh, we need to dive into rookies more. Like I said, we're not really like dynasty guys per se. So we still need to take a deeper look into these guys, but I'm all aboard the Jamar chase train. I think he should be the one Oh one in uh in rookie drafts. Super flex, maybe not, but at least in a typical one QB leagues, I'm all about Jamar chase. And like you, you just said, you have him as a generational talent, as good as maybe Calvin Johnson. So what is it that you see uh, in Jamar chase's profile that really makes you excited about him? Yeah, so I, to be fair, I do think that Calvin Johnson was a better prospect than Jamar Chase. <laughs> I think he's the best prospect since Calvin gotcha, Johnson. Gotcha. Um, what I see in Jamar Chase's profile is a couple of things we we like never see, right? Like he actually outproduced Justin Jefferson, who we now know set the NFL record in receiving yards <laughs> for a rookie, and he outproduced him with a year less experience and a year younger. Insane. So that's impressive. Like the transitive property here Absurd. is incredible. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we never see this. So that's the first thing that I think is really impressive, but that doesn't get him a strong grade in my process. Where his strong grade comes from is because when we look at his production, his age, his like he's an early declare, right? All that kind of stuff. We are seeing a group of incredible prospects, which is pretty fun. We don't often <laughs> see this kind of group of prospects when we're like his and his draft capital, pardon me. He's, Normally, I use top five picks for my transcendent tier, uh, but normally we don't have four or five quarterbacks, you know, four quarterbacks going in the top five. Yeah. So a little bit strange year. I would say maybe adjusting it this year for like a top two or three non-quarterback pick for the transcendent tier would make sense. And when you look at his, his prospect profile, he only played two years. One of them wasn't so good. One of them was like basically the best season we've ever seen from a 19-year-old. So that's impressive. And then... Um, like I said, the transitive property of playing with Justin Jefferson, but then where he really pops for me is in the athleticism tier. And like I said, I don't athleticism across the board does not matter. I will hundred percent 
tell you there is no correlation to a wide receiver athleticism across the board. If we're looking at DK Metcalf and his like terrible profile because he didn't do anything in college, his athleticism wasn't a reason to draft him. There was nothing. There's a, there's a long, long list of unathletic players that did nothing in college, just like DK Metcalf did and got draft capital, just like DK Metcalf did that washed out of the league in like three years. So there was no reason to go out and jump on DK Metcalf because of his athleticism. When it comes to this tier of player, we're talking about top five picks. We're talking about bulletproof prospects in the first round. We are getting guys like Calvin Johnson, Andre Johnson, uh, Braylon Edwards, Julio Jones, AJ Green. Those are our transcendent tier. And they all have not as good of profiles as Jamar Chase, except for Calvin Johnson. And then in the generational tier, which is outside the top five, but still in the first round, bulletproof prospects. We're looking at Odell Beckham Jr., Des Bryant, Justin Jefferson, uh, DJ Moore, and Brandon Cooks. So like all of these guys have hit, the transcendent, every one of them hit a top five season. The generational, everyone except for, I believe, the the new guys and Brandon Cooks have hit a top five season and, and multiple top five seasons. So, and, and that's the whole list. Like there's no, there's no misses on this list. Yeah. So I feel like the ceiling is locked in for Jamar Chase already which is why I think that he's the one-on-one in rookie drafts. Unless you're playing super flex, then you got to take quarterback into consideration because they're so rare. So yeah, that's where I'm at. So music to my ears, man, music to my ears. <laughs> so last, last year we saw a, a, an unusually deep draft. So I think this year is a lot of top heavy talent. Last year was, was very deep. So everyone knows the top guys, Devonte Smith, Jamar Chase, the question is for you, is there a, a wide receiver, maybe not even a day one wide receiver, maybe a, a day two wide receiver that you grade out a little higher and think has the ability to surprise some people um, going forward? Yeah, there's a couple of guys that I think I'm higher on than than most. Uh, but, it, but this comes down to draft capital as well. Seth Williams is probably my guy if I had to pick somebody that's that's not really in the mainstream right now. Uh, and, and honestly, if he gets first or second round draft capital, which he won't, he would be a bulletproof prospect, which wow. is a really good sign. The problem is he's probably going to be a third round pick at best, and that's not going to put him in the bulletproof tier. But we have seen guys like that that have gone on to be very successful, which are uh, Keenan Allen and Chris Godwin. So like he would have the same profile as them, but third round draft capital, which is really good. Mm. It's a good, yeah. good group to be paired with. Unfortunately, there's three other guys in that tier that I can't remember their names now, but they were no good. You didn't want to draft them. That was a big mistake. And that, that's kind of the hit and miss. Like, he's a coin flip tier, right? Because he didn't, he's not going to get the draft capital that we want. So he's probably going to end up in the coin flip tier if he gets drafted in round three. If he falls to day four, then he's someone we have no interest in. It's, it's over. Just write him off. Game over. The, the, the day three hit rate is, is putrid, no matter what the profile looks like. So I just never chase those guys. But if Seth Williams gets the draft capital, I'm all in because he has an alpha profile. And when we're looking at high upside, those guys are alphas. They're big, they're physical, and they're athletic, just like Seth Williams. He's, what, 6'3", 211 pounds, and I believe you're around a 4'5", 40. So he's, he's, he's an athletic dude, that's for sure. And I think he jumped out of the gym. I think his burst score is like in the 90th percentile or somewhere around there. Definitely gonna keep my eye on uh, Seth Williams then. For those who don't um, know, I know I watched. Sorry, go ahead. For those who don't know, wide watched, receiver from Auburn is Seth Williams. Go ahead, Mike. Yes, um, I watched your Amon Ross St. Brown video, and you were talking about how they have the best names, all the St. Browns. 
Do you know, if not, I want Tim to tell you about the St. Brown history, about like the dad and mom and the kids, their names and such. I know a little bit about it. I don't know the, the, the history of the names. I just think they're funny that they have these crazy first names. What's the history? Real real quick, the, the short version is his dad, <laughs> dad is a bodybuilder. Mom is a yeah. triathlete. He married the mom just to make athlete babies. Original last Makes name. Sense. Original last name was Brown. Changed it to Saint Brown because it would look better on the back of a jersey. And of course. He, and he names his kids crazy names like Equinemius uh, in order to make them stand out, just like this. Uh, Dude's a genius. And right? he's been training. And he's been training them since they're like two years old to be NFL wide receivers. It's funny that the bodybuilder went for the NFL wide receiver rather than like bodybuilding babies. He he was chasing yeah. the money. He his body's all messed up now because of his <laughs> bodybuilding prowesses. Anyway, someone whose body is not messed up that we talked about, Kyle Pitts. It's time. You don't like Kyle Pitts the same way everyone does it, which is funny because every time I turn on NFL Network or ESPN or I turn on a or I listen to a podcast, it's always this guy is destined for the Hall of Fame. Fit him for a gold jacket. He's the best player I've ever seen. What 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 is what are all these people missing? Well, I honestly I don't think they're missing anything. I I I you said I don't like Kyle. I love Kyle Pitts. I don't like his price. That's oh, totally okay. different. That that may, that's very very important. It's all about to the price. Yeah, very important to mention. All about the price. Yeah, stand corrected. <laughs> no, I like Kyle Pitts. There's 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 nothing that he doesn't check. I was just saying, like with Trevor Lawrence, when we were saying. He's a generational player on film. He actually graded out as a generational player on film. Like, we've never seen that. Kyle Pitts at the same freaking grade as Hunter Henry and O.J. Howard. Like, like that's not that crazy exceptional to me. And, and I mean, that's only based on Lancer Lines grades. So maybe there's something else to it. Maybe he's not very good at tight ends. I don't really know. doesn't really matter to me. From a, from a, like, from my process on Kyle Pitts, the reason I'm not giving him a generational or a transcendent grade is because... I haven't been able to figure out a way to pinpoint the Jamar Chase ceiling. Like when I when I turn on those filters and everything pops as just incredible, that's when I feel like we found the key to these guys are incredible. That's not what happened with Kyle Pitts. Like when I filter for athleticism, I get a bunch of guys that weren't that good. When I filter for film grade, I get Hunter Henry and OJ Howard. When I filter for production, I get a whole bunch of guys that were very good NFLers but they weren't all superstars. And when I'm blocking generational transcendent, I want them to be like sure sign superstars. Like when I look at Saquon Barkley's profile, he smashes everything that I look at. It's not like he's like a good prospect, like Jonathan Taylor, where he like checks a lot of the, like almost all the boxes. Like Saquon Barkley smashed all of the boxes. Jamar Chase, his comps are smashing the NFL. Kyle Pitts comps, they're good. They're really good, but they're not smashing. Like, they're not a whole bunch. They're not five Travis Kelseys. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. there's there's just so much margin for error when it comes to Kyle Pitts. I will tell you, though, I believe that he is the best wide receiver prospect since Kellen Winslow in 2004. So that's something. But, like I said, I just don't have a way to pinpoint. Look at this guy. He's a future Hall of Famer. I'm like, look at this guy. I don't know. There's like Kellen Winslow and Noah Fant and Kyle Pitts, and those are the only guys that can really separate. And Kyle Pitts and Noah Fant haven't done anything yet, so it's hard for me to say, yep, these guys are all generational because they haven't done it yet. Yeah. I don't have a long history of players that have done it. So say you're uh, you're sitting down at a table. It's a super flex rookie draft. Tight end premium. 
How high are you willing to go for Kyle Pitts? How high am I willing to go for Kyle Pitts on a super flex tight end premium? Let me just check my rankings here. One moment. I believe I'm going to have Kyle Pitts around my 107, 108, 109. That somewhere seems in there. reasonable. That seems reasonable. I don't think there's any way he – there's too much hype. I feel like there's no way he makes it there in a tight he end He will not make league. it there. Yeah. I've done two rookie drafts so far, and he's one at 103 and one and 102 and the oh, other. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, people love themselves some Kyle Pitts, man. Yeah, and, and it's not like it's not that he's a bad prospect. That's not why I'm fading him. It's that I don't know for certain that he's a great prospect. Sorry, I know for certain he's a great prospect. I don't know that it matters, and he's going to be a great NFLer. That's where the issue comes from. So uh, very interesting, Drew. Before we let you go, one last question. Um, last year, obviously, you you did this exact same thing, and we've had a year to see some guys pan out. We've seen some guys, like you said, pan out, like Justin Jefferson, but. It, it, and, you know, or, or, you know, a bunch of guys, Jonathan Taylor, a bunch of guys really panned out. But on the flip side of that, you have the Jalen Ragers of the world and you have the Van Jeffersons of the world. Are there any people that you saw in your rookie profiles last year that may not have had a great rookie season, but you believe is still on track to have a great career? Tua Tungvaloa. Ooh, okay, interesting. Talk, talk to he us, is, please. He is the only guy that in the last several years I've been willing to buy low on. The only one. I believe the fantasy community is getting it completely wrong. I do this thing called ADP trends. And I basically take the player's startup ADP in May of their draft year versus their startup ADP in the following May. And then I let the market tell me if the player is any good. What's the collective wisdom on this player? And it's wildly accurate. Like we as a community are really good at fading players. If they fade, like if we say they're not as good as we thought they were, they aren't. They almost always bust. There's like five wide receivers in the past since 2007 that have actually turned around and had a top 24 season from the first round. I haven't really looked. I don't remember the specifics on the second and third round because those guys usually don't matter anyway. But from the first round, there's like five guys. So, and then at the quarterback position, it's like, it's really hard to lose value. And when you do, it's a death sentence, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. The best ones are like Sam Bradford and Jared Goff, which aren't exactly guys you wanted to be buying low on. Right. Like, I mean, buying Jared Goff might have worked out. You could have flipped him pretty pretty nicely in his first season with McVay. But over his career, like things have not gone to plan for Jared Goff. Tuatonga Veloa is the one guy that I'm like, no, 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 no. The fantasy community is wrong. And they're wrong because of these friggin' narratives that are driving me nuts about Tua. Like, everyone's like, oh, no, he, he doesn't throw it deep. I'm like, he threw it deeper than Justin Herbert did. You guys are all fawning over Justin Herbert. And Tuatonga Veloa's average depth of throw was deeper. So what are you talking about? He doesn't throw deep. That's like <laughs> the math doesn't back that up. You are speaking narratively, and there is nothing to back you up on that one. And then it's like, well, he got benched for Ryan Fitzpatrick. I'm like, yeah, he did get benched for Ryan Fitzpatrick. But let's take a second and realize that the Miami Dolphins put Tua Tungaviloa coming off a major hip injury into the lineup in the middle of a friggin' playoff race. Like, they weren't a losing team that was like, ah, the season's over. Let's flip it over to Tua and let the kid get some experience. They were still trying to win. They were in the playoff hunt. They're like, Ryan, you just came off the best game maybe of your career. Go grab a seat on the bench. We're putting the kid in. And then when they pull him when it's late in the game, like, sure, pull him. Like, Ryan Fitzpatrick makes magic happen. Like, that's his whole thing, right, is 
a, he's a spark for the team. I don't have it's an magic. issue with them taking him out. And then after the games, every game, they pulled to a put Ryan Fitzmagic in. The media is all over the coaches, right? Like, oh, is it, it, to a bench? Like, are you going back to Fitz, Fitzpatrick? They're like, no, man. Like, Tua's the quarterback. We just wanted to try to win that game. Tua's the quarterback. We're going back to Tua. There wasn't any BS about, well, you got to watch the film, see, see what it looked like, see how the team responded. It was just straight up, we're going back to Tua. We just tried to win the game. That's all that it was. So, you know, one of the one of the things I uh, I, I learned from you um, in the dynasty world is you basically this is shocking for you to hear because you basically will never buy a player that has a bad rookie season, right? Yes. Yeah. So like that's something I have taken very much into consideration. Uh, so shout out to you for uh, imparting that wisdom upon me. I have to. <laughs> I have to. Ask, I have to ask though because. And, and I was gonna let you go, but one more question. Sorry, I'm gonna sneak one more in. <laughs> because one of the guys that sticks out to me as a guy who has a real chance to be good still is Jerry Judy. Because if you look at his stats last year, he had the most throws thrown to him that were uncatchable of any wide receiver in the league last year. So when you're looking at that, like I know Drew, it's it's still gonna be Drew Locke, it looks like. But with that being said, he did he didn't have that opportunity. He was also put in a situation where everyone around him got hurt and he was the only guy. How do you feel about Jerry Judy? And is that a guy who you think has a chance to rebound? I think that, like I said, Jerry Judy is, is an NFL player. I don't think he's a fantasy star by any stretch. It, when you're saying that he had uncatchable throws, sure. But I use PFF grades when I'm doing sophomore comps and PFF grades don't care if the ball was catchable. They're looking at what the player did. Mm -hmm. So the surrounding cast or the, the accuracy of the throw isn't what they're grading Jerry Judy on. They're grading him on what he did specifically, not on the result of the play, on the process of the play. And when they graded Jerry Judy, they didn't give him a very good grade. And when I take that combined with his points per game, which is pretty good, and his prospect profile grade, which is coin flip, which is pretty good, he still doesn't come out with a whole bunch of superstars. He comes out with a bunch of guys that some hit and some miss, and it's it's just not the best. <laughs> And, and like, and like, one of the big things I'm moving to when we're talking about this kind of thing is when I'm looking at sophomore comps, I'm looking at players and what they comp to, like similar journeys, right? So, like T. Higgins, for instance, he came into the NFL. Sorry, he came into college as like a super high recruit. He stepped in, broke out at 18. He dominated at 19. He dominated at 20. He declared for the NFL, came out, put up a, nearly 1,000 yards. His quarterback got hurt midseason. He had worse quarterback play than Jerry Judy did. And True. he did a hell of a lot more than Jerry Judy did. And he had more competition for targets. There was still A.J. Green and Tyler Boyd on the team. So when we like flip the context and start looking at it from that perspective, Jerry Judy's season wasn't that good. I'm just going to look up here real quick. These are Jerry Judy's sophomore comps. And then keep in mind that Jerry Judy is an alpha. So a lot of these guys, or Jerry Judy is a beta. So I use alpha beta at wide receiver to kind of distinguish between the ceiling. Alphas are like usually your X receiver. Like they're big, right? That's the whole premise. Big guy, little guy. So when we're looking at alpha receivers, we on his comp list, we have like DeAndre Hopkins, Greg Jennings, Alshon Jeffrey, Allen Robinson, Robert Woods, Kenny Galladay. Like they don't play the same position as Jerry Judy, realistically. Jerry Judy plays more of a like Tyler Boyd, Deshaun Jackson, Anthony Miller, Will Fuller, Sterling Shepard kind of role, in my opinion. And, th and those are all, these are all guys on his sophomore comps. And when I'm looking at Jerry Judy's sophomore comps, I get about, it looks like 20 guys, and half of them hit a top 24 season, and half of them didn't. And that's not factoring the alpha beta thing. That's regardless of their size. 
when I flip it and look at somebody like uh, T. Higgins, we get uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys, and every single one of them have hit a top 12 season. Hmm. So, like, the how do I word this? The outlook for somebody like T Higgins versus Jerry Judy is it's so much more secure to just go get T Higgins than it is to get Jerry Judy. And I'm using them as a comparable because at one point they had pretty similar ADPs in the off season. I think T Higgins is kind of pulled away at this point, but uh, more or less what I'm looking for is this like fire sophomore complex. Like I'll give you one more. Here's Brandon Ayuk, who a lot of people don't really seem to be that into. Like they like him, but they don't love him. I love him. His comps are Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, Juju Smith-Schuster, and A.J. Brown. Like 100% wide receiver one hit rate. Mm -hmm. And like really good wide receivers. <laughs> Jerry Judy's aren't that. So it's not that, it'll, it's not that I think he's going to miss. Like I, I think he's probably still likely going to hit as long as they get a quarterback that can handle both Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and Noah Fant, which may never happen. So just from like a volume or efficiency standpoint, he may never get there. No fault of his own. I think he's plenty good enough to hit a top 24 but he's never going to be a wide receiver one, in my opinion. And at his value, there's just better pivots. And or you can package him up with something else and go up and get a Brandon Ayuk or a T. Higgins. You might even be able to get Brandon Ayuk straight up. I'm not sure what, pardon me, I'm not sure where their ADPs are at right now. So, so yeah. Drew, I could talk to you about this for hours and hours and hours, but instead... <laughs> I will let you go so you uh, so you <laughs> so I don't keep you here for hours and I'll just go to where you put your stuff and I'll read it there. So why don't you tell the people where to find you? All right, so I'm on uh, I'm on Twitter at DFB Encounter. That's where I do most of my most of my stuff. I got a podcast now. It's called Bulletproof Fantasy Football. It's it's kind of a weird podcast. <laughs> it's it's unique. Like most podcasts are like this, right? Like people having a conversation. My podcast, I don't have any guests. It's just me monologuing about players that I like or dislike. So nobody gets to argue with me. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's, that's the scary. one way to guarantee you win every argument. Exactly. Boom, right there. Well, uh, <laughs> real quick, real quick, Drew. Uh, I see you have a Giants uh, frame in the back. Are you a Giants fan? No, I'm a Saquon Barkley fan. Ah, okay. Gotcha. A true, a true it's spoken like a true fantasy, dynasty fantasy head right there. <laughs> Saquon Barkley the, fan. the other guy is Lamar Jackson. So oh, that's great. And, and, I, and I'm a Steelers fan. Oh, there you oh. go. By the by the got way, Ravens on the wall. <laughs> Brandon Ayuk, I got in like the the 14th or 13th round of a startup this year, and it was just just stealing, like taking candy from a baby. That can't happen. I know, oh I know, God. I know. I don't know. I don't. You got to talk to him about this. But anyway, uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, again, uh, Drew Osenchuk, uh the Bean Counter himself. Thank you so much for giving us your inside knowledge, and everyone check him check him out on Twitter. And uh, check out his podcast. Uh, with that being said, um, that's it from us uh, on the Real Recognize Real Hotline. Thanks, Drew. Thanks, guys. Boom diddly. Boom, boom diddly. diddly is what you just said. I, I said boom diddly. Michael, dude, I'm surprised you didn't put up a fight against Tua. When he when he pulled Tua out of the hat at the end there, I got a little I got a little <laughs> surprised. I mean, look, I. I've been vocal about my disdain for Tua, and I don't believe he's a very good quarterback. Again, I say this over and over. I'm no, I'm not like a, I'm not gonna act like I'm like some QB scout. It's fine if Drew doesn't agree. One of us will be right, right? <laughs> like that's the beauty of it. One of us is gonna be right. Either Tua ends up being good, or he doesn't. Uh, I'm just, I'm not gonna be investing in Tua. Hopefully, it works out for Drew in his case if he's trying to acquire him. But yeah, I mean, 
I, I don't really see it with Tua, and I do think Justin Herbert is far better, but it was interesting hearing his side of it because I'm, I'm not a Tua guy, but he was spinning a, a whole lot of bars outside of Tua. <laughs> oh, yeah. Even his Tua bars are good. I'm not I'm not yeah. completely out on Tua like you and Jason are. I'm not completely out on Tua. I just I think it's more than likely that he's not good after the rookie season. With that being I'm a, said, I'm a, I'm a probability guy. Actuarial science, fun fact, was Michael's major in undergrad. Uh, with that yes, being was. said, uh, Michael, where can they find you? At Broto FF Mike. You can find me at Broto FF Tim. You can find Jason at Broto FF Jason. You can find Cass at Broto FF Casanova. See what we did there? You can find us all at Broto Fantasy on Twitter. Don't forget to download the Broto Fantasy app. If you're on a desktop, please go to BrotoFantasy.com to get all of what Broto has to offer. That's also on the app. It's on the website, most of it. There's some things that are app exclusive. So go check out both of those things. And with that being said... That is all for us. If you want an extra episode, don't forget to support us on patreon.com slash brotofantasy. Um, we got the People's Pod coming up. Actually, we released our our episode this week before the the free episode here, before yep. the public episode. So, hmm, you know, sometimes sometimes things happen and you don't you don't <laughs> you don't plan it. You don't schedule it. But it happens. Oh boy. This is when I, this is how I talk when I don't know what to say next. See wow. ya. <laughs> Later.